This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So, faced with the question, where did they go next with this podcast? The guys were recently joined by legendary musical genius Bruce Dickerson who's agreed to be the new producer of the Stack and Benjamins show. They were all excited to meet him. Hey, fellas, I'm Bruce Dickerson. Yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound, fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. More cowbell. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy Cider Monday, everyone. Nothing I like better than some cider, freshly made donuts, and Stacking Benjamins. Oh, there's two things, but those are pretty good anyway. Hey, to celebrate, we welcome an inspiring guest who's made a career out of pushing through fear. Help us welcome the author of Fearvana, it's Akshay Nanavati. Plus, in our headline segment, there are new FICO score changes. How will the new rules affect you? We'll ask U.S. News and World Report credit expert Beverly Harzog. As usual, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and share a juicy slice of my trivia. And now, two guys who are offering you an exclusive offer to this podcast today only... It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Forget about that. Oh, Jesus sitting across the table from me, hitting refresh on his browser, looking, looking for the next deal on his computer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Cyber Monday with Stacky Benjamins. I'm Joe Salciha. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, post-Thanksgiving feast weekend, it's Mr. OG. I only gained six pounds, which is pretty good. It turns out Sears and Kmart have the least Cyber Monday sales, after all. I'm surprised that they even have uh, websites website operational. It just says forbidden 301 redirect. I don't know what that means. It means that any second now, the deal on all that Kenmore stuff is going to show up. Yeah. It's a wild day today. I never really pay much attention to Cyber Monday sales, even though working online, they're in my face all day long. I'm not sure that they're that good of deals. Isn't that what we decided before is that the best deals are the best thing to do is to wait until December 23rd? <laughs> we did see that, didn't we? 
Yes. Because then you don't care. You're just in a panic. Oh, no, not that. There's actually good deals. <laughs> You're yes. like, mom likes spatulas. Yes. Yeah, hey. <laughs> Get her a dozen. <laughs> it's like my Wrap dad. Used- individually. So she's got 12 <laughs> presents to open. <laughs> it's like my dad used to say, you think she'd be offended if it wasn't, oh, yeah, will she like it? It's exactly will she be how offended. I shop. Yep. Hey, today's show, OG, is brought to you by our newsletter, The Stacker. We're actually hitting the reset button on The Stacker. You know how they took Superman and they mm-hmm. rebooted the series and Spider-Man, they rebooted that. And made it way worse. Yep. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not going the way I need you to go. Made oh, it, sorry. Made and it, then it got really good. It was exciting. Awesome. It yes. was awesome. Yes. Kind of like Batman's in between like numbers two and three Batman, but not three to four Batman. Got yes. It. We are making the stacker almost like a course. You start it with us on January 1st and we have lessons all along the way for 2019 I've got it about three quarters of the way set up right now. It's going to be great. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker to make sure that 365 lessons next year. No, that's pretty well done. No one a week. Did I say one a day? No, not at all. I'm just, I'm selling it for you, dude. 365 lessons. What, What a bargain. It is an over promise under deliver though. Oh, one lesson a month. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> sent directly to your email. Two lessons during 2019. And the they may be about money. <laughs> yes. forward slash stacker. Not only are we going to have those, we'll also hopefully be taking the show on tour again next year, OG. You'll be able to find out about that first, find out about uh, special shows that we do, meetups as we go around the country in 2019. Hopefully we can meet you. Uh, that all goes to the stacker first. I hope one of your lessons are things like, how to change your furnace filters and mower height for optimal grass cutting length. Or are they just generally not those kind of tips? Probably not. We stick with the optimal time to change your oven light bulb. If you remember that whole thing. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect timing. Because that's super important. Speaking of something super important though, we're fighting fear today. Our friend Akshay Nadavati, he just ran across Liberia by the way, this, uh, this Marine, um, and just an amazing story of, of him in combat. I just saw a photo that he had. It was actually a photo of John McCain, but he's standing next to John McCain in full uniform. And he's accidentally in time magazine during one of McCain's trips to the middle East, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about fighting fear. And I think if there's anybody who's had to fight fear, it's a lot of us. There's a ton of people out there fighting fear. So fighting through that, as you're learning about investing, about saving or making your career better, that's today. But we got some great headlines first, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Kiplinger, this written by Kimberly Lankford. I thought today, OG, at the end of the year, is a good time to go over health savings accounts. And this piece in Kiplinger is... 10 myths about health savings accounts. And I thought we'd walk through these because you and I, we get letters about HSAs, as they're called, all the time. And uh, let's walk through them. The first myth that they had is you must use HSA money by year end. Completely not true. Yep, not true. The cool kids all save their HSAs now for a long time. Yes, you stick the money in the HSA. You don't have to use it right away, which is uh, one of the fantastic things. You can build up more more tax-advantaged money with an HSA. Second, you can only get an HSA through your employer. Hmm. Also not true. 
Anybody can have an HSA. As Any lo- custodian. You can put your money anywhere, is what I meant to say. Yes. The only thing you have to have is an HSA-eligible health insurance policy. If you have one of those, then you can contribute to the HSA, and it doesn't have to be through your employer. But you obviously want to make sure you have some money in your employer's plan so your employer has a place to put any money they're contributing to it. Yeah, generally, that's the issue, right, is that the, the employer has a plan that they're going to contribute their quote-unquote match to. So you, you have to at least have some money there. There is a place Kiplinger points to. You can find HSA administrators at hsasearch.com where you can compare fees and investing options. Next myth, you can't use money in the HSA after you sign up for Medicare. Also, not true. A lot of people, OG, using this for expenses for late in life. Again, all the cool kids are using this as a year two or three of tax-free income year, basically. Yeah, and people are mistaking the fact that you can't make new contributions to an HSA after you enroll in Medicare, but you can continue to use the money that's in there. So you don't got to empty out the account. You just can't make new payments into the plan. And that's because you're no longer using an HSA-approved insurance. You're now using Medicare instead. Mm -hmm. You can also take, by the way, tax-free withdrawals to pay a portion of long-term care insurance premium based on your age, ranging in 2018 from $410 if you're 40 or older to $5,110 if you're 70 or older. And after you turn 65, you can use HSA money to pay premiums for Medicare Part B, Part D, or Medicare Advantage. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Next myth that people have on this list of 10 myths, you can't contribute to an HSA after you turn 65. Also not true. Eligibility to make HSA contribution stops when you enroll Medicare, like we just said. You can only delay signing up for Medicare at 65 if you have health insurance from a current employer or if you have coverage through your spouse's employer. The employer generally must have 20 or more employees. Otherwise, you generally have to sign up for Medicare at 65. And that's why people think that you can't contribute to an HSA after 65. But if you work in one of those companies where they have a loophole, you can still continue putting money into the HSA. Next one, you must get permission from HSA administrators to withdraw money. We get this one all the time. Do I have to get permission from my H- from my HSA administrator to take money out and move it over? Nope. No, all you need to do is have a receipt to justify on your tax forms that you had a reimbursement. Uh, the only person you're going to justify anything to is couldn't be the IRS agent. Which different than an FSA, with an FSA, you actually have to provide the receipt generally to the uh, to yeah. the FSA yep. administrator. So pe- right. p- people get those mixed up. Many HSAs have debit cards to make it easy to use the account for eligible expenses, but you can also withdraw money on your own and keep the records in your tax file, as OG just said. Next is... You must use HSA funds within a certain time period after you incur medical bills. This is the coolest piece of all is the fact that that's a myth. Well, this kind of goes back to the earlier point about the, uh, you know, the cool kids saving them up. There's no time period, no statute of limitations yet on when you must claim that reimbursement. So one of the nice things is that if you're young, you could technically accumulate all of your out-of-pocket health care costs for the next 35 years. And then from 65 to 66, reimburse yourself those. Yeah. This piece says, let's say you have knee surgery and pay a $1,000 deductible using your own cash. As long as you had that after you open the HSA, you can withdraw that money tax-free anytime years later. Fantastic. 
Yeah, yep. that's the piece that people always wonder about is, but what if I have medical expenses? Doesn't matter. You, you can pay cash for those medical expenses. Your, your well, you portion. have to have the cash to be able to pay those medical expenses. Good, that's the that's good. the catch. You've got to be able to do the, both. Yes. You've got to be able to save money and pay for it out of pocket. But if you're able to do that, you can accumulate dollars to the tune of, you know, three to $6,000 a year. And pretty soon your HSA will have enough money in it that it's making money faster than you can spend the money, if that makes sense. Which is important because I think a lot of the people touting HSAs are people that have a lot of free cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're well, some, sure. if you're somebody that doesn't have a lot of free cash flow and you keep hearing about how great HSAs are, you got to figure out a way to stretch your budget first to make the free cash flow to pay for these out of pocket or to at least build a decent size emergency fund. You have to have the emergency fund, absolutely. And the HSA still works, even if you have to deplete it every year. You know, if you can put 7000 a year into it about, and you have 7000 of out-of-pocket healthcare costs, and that's the only place it can come from, well, at least it's still coming out pre-tax. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's still a better deal, even if it zeroes out. Next myth about HSAs, you can only invest the HSA money in a savings account. This is also very cool for people looking at saving that money long-term. Well, a lot of custodians will impose some limits on how much money you need to have in the cash portion versus the investment portion, but there's no written rule as to why you can't put all of it in the investment portion if you wanted. Yeah, the fees and investing options vary a lot by company, but they can look a lot like a 401k plan, can't they? Like a retirement savings plan. Um, They're getting more and more press, so to speak, from the custodians, but still most of them require a certain amount in the cash uh, to waive a monthly fee. And then they have some sort of nominal trading cost generally. Whatever that you know, might to be. Trade it. Gotcha. Next is your spouse and kids can only use HSA money if covered by your health plan. So people not covered by the HSA can't use the money. They're also saying that's a myth. Okay. That one I'm not sure about, but I believe you. The rules for contributing to an HSA are different than they are for using the money. For 2019, you can contribute up to 3500 to the account. If you have health insurance coverage on you only or up to 7,000, if you have family coverage, you can also contribute an extra thousand if you're 55 or older, but no matter whether you have individual or family health insurance coverage, you can use the HSA money tax-free for qualified medical expenses for yourself, your spouse, and your dependents, even if those family members are covered under a different policy. How about that? How about that one, huh? You had to wait. Or I, I feel bad for all the people that fast forwarded through this. Yeah, I know everything there is to know about HSAs. That's a good one. Next one is you can't use the HSA after you leave your job. Of course, this has a lot to do with, you know, saving the money into retirement. Of course you can. They're different than FSAs because even after you lo- leave your job, you can maintain the HSA. Just do it like an IRA rollover or leave it through the current administrator if you want. Same thing, just like a just like a four hundred one k. Yeah, and then the last myth that Kiplinger has here: it doesn't make sense to have an HSA eligible policy if you have a lot of medical expenses. We used to even say that, OG. If you got a lot of medical expenses, HSAs don't make a lot of sense. They're saying that's not generally true. Well, I suppose it matters again back to our cash flow argument. If you've got the cash to pay for it, then it's a good double whammy. But if you're knowing that you're going to have a lot of out of pocket healthcare costs, like for example, you know you're going to have a baby or something, especially now toward the end of open enrollment time, you kind of got to price those things out and say, well, maybe this year is the year that I don't go with the HSA plan because I can, you know, have lower out of pocket if I, if I just pay higher premiums. And to your point, bam, 
Uh, I like what they say in this piece, OG, that you really have to do the math because in some companies, when they give you your cafeteria plan, let's say your options on health insurance, if the HSA is still a lot less expensive than the full coverage plan, the HSA still might make sense, even if you have a lot of -of out-of-pocket expenses. In other words, you can get the HSA, make the out-of-pocket expenses, cover your deductible and do better still still do better than the Cadillac plan that they present alongside it. We'll have a link to this in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. I love uh, being able to cover this and uh, nice job Kiplinger on this piece. And in our second headline today, new rules with your credit score that may affect things. And here to explain all the changes to us is our favorite credit expert. I, I shouldn't just, just throw that around. <laughs> but, but but Beverly Harzog from U.S. News and World Report is here. How are you? I am doing great, Joe. How are you today? Well, I'm glad. Is it, how long has it been since we've had you on the show? A couple of years. Probably a couple of years. Way too I've long. Written, I've written a couple of books in the past five years, and um, I'm happy to be on your show to I, talk about that. I know, but I'm glad we finally got you back. But tell me what's different. with Is this just your FICO score or what's changed? Okay, this is good news for people who are kind of on the bubble, you know, people that have either subprime scores or have very thin files, which means they don't have a lot of credit. And what this new score is called the Ultra FICO score, what it does is it takes into account your banking activity. So uh, your checking account, savings account, and even money market accounts. And if you've got an average of $400 in savings over the past three months, then that could give you a little boost. Now, what happens is this is an opt-in credit score. So they'll still run your regular FICO score. And if you're close, you know, very close to getting credit, but just not quite there, you can opt in to to do this with the Ultra FICO and it'll kind of recalculate your score. And you might get a boost enough so that you can actually get approved for credit. So that's who it's designed to help. If you've already got great credit, you're you're not going to get a boost from this, but you you don't need a boost. When you say subprime, you and I know what that means, but a lot of people listening might not know. What's your number that makes you subprime? You know, it's going to vary a little bit by lender, but think about around a FICO score of around 670 and below 660 and down. Okay. Yeah. And then is this the type of thing that I check the box ahead of time that I want to be included in this version of the credit score? Or, or is it if I'm denied, I can then say, well, check it this other way? That's a great question, Joe. And what I love about this is it gives the consumer some power. All right, if you know about this and you get denied for credit, you can ask them to run the score again using Ultra FICO. Some lenders will just do it on their own because they really do want to tap into this market. They want to be able to give some people a chance. And by looking at the banking activity, they feel that that's going to lower their risk a little bit because if someone can be responsible with their checking accounts, then maybe they are ready for credit, even if their regular FICO score doesn't reflect that yet. I think this is great news for people like my twins who are 23 years old. I would think for younger people trying to build credit at first, Beverly, this is great. It is, Joe. And you know, especially for millennials, a lot of them have put off building credit. And this is a great opportunity for them to try to boost their score a little bit, you know, get a mortgage at a better rate, that sort of thing. So yeah, it can be a good news for a lot of people. Now, I do worry that some people might get credit that aren't quite ready. So, you know, there were always unintended consequences when something good like this comes along. There's always another side, but Hopefully we'll see more good than bad with this. Well, I was just thinking about that while you were talking. I was thinking 
if if you were denied credit for a lot of people, there might have been a good reason. Like you, you got to be a little self-reflective, I would think, and say, why was I denied credit? And maybe I shouldn't be going for credit. Absolutely. You know, and from that Spider-Man movie, with great uh, power comes great responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're going to have more power with your FICO score and more power to decide if you're ready for credit, you've got to be sure you're ready. And that's where financial literacy comes in. And I do think that we all learned quite a lot from the Great Recession. And I think that that's one reason why millennials are so careful. They saw their parents struggle. So they're being cautious. And that's never a bad thing. But before you jump into credit, be sure that you're ready. This time of year, as you know, a lot of people out there are going for credit. What is the number one thing that affects your credit score? Payment history. Okay. As 35% of your FICO score and don't just pay your credit card bills on time. Be sure you pay every single bill on time. Even a forgotten utility bill could end up on your credit report if it went to a collection agency and they decided to report it. So just have a rule of thumb that you will pay every single bill on time. And with your credit cards, be sure that you keep low balances because your utilization is 30%. So you've got 65% just with payment history and how much credit you're using. So pay attention to those two things and that will help you have a good score. What, what do you think? My last question is, what do you think about this idea? Because utilization is such a big part of your score, yet there are people that shouldn't be trusting themselves with credit. They cut up the card, they cancel the account, but then you see some experts say, well, don't cancel the account because that affects your utilization. Where do you come down on that personally? It's one of those things where it's okay to do that under only special circumstances. If you've got a huge amount of available credit and you've had credit for a long time, you have a long history, it may not affect you at all. But if you've got a shorter credit history, you don't want to cancel a credit card unless you've got a really fabulous reason, like you know maybe a really high annual fee and you're not actually using that card. But it's never a good idea to just decide to close because you will lose that available credit. You want to have a utilization ratio around 30%, Okay. but I say even 10% if you're trying to boost your score. And so when you lose that available credit from that card you're going to cancel, it makes your ratio go up, and that's not a good thing that can make your score go down. I would bet getting back to the FICO changes that uh, not only are you here talking about this, Beverly, you might have written a thing or two about this at U.S. News & World Report. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I'm working on a column about this right now. Awesome. <laughs> it will be up at U.S. News and World Report on, in the credit card section. Awesome. And you know what? We'll link to some of those stories on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. It's about time we got you back to the basement, Beverly. Well, thank you so much. I love being in the basement. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to Beverly from U.S. News and World Report. Uh, good news here. Mostly, I think, OG, for younger people, people just starting to build credit. Is this good news or is this just a way for banks to uh, ensnare another generation in in their claws? (laughs) That's what I like about what Beverly said. There's a little bit of know yourself in here, isn't there? Yeah. Like maybe there's a different reason you got denied for credit. Maybe you Uh shouldn't have credit. Good stuff there. I think that's lesson number one, know yourself. And lesson number two, HSAs might be more flexible than you think they are. Upstairs Talking to Mom is our friend, Akshay Nanavati. He's a U.S. Marine veteran, a speaker, entrepreneur, ultra runner, and of course, the author of the best-selling book, Fearvana, 
We're going to talk to him about fear today. He served in Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom, later diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. His book, Fearvana, endorsed by the Dalai Lama, whoever that is. and Never heard of him. Yeah, and Jack Canfield, the chicken soup for the soul guy. Fear plays a big part, I think, in why people don't get what they want for themselves. So I'm very excited that we get to talk to this gentleman, Akshay Nanavati, coming down to the basement. Semper Fi, Marine. And coming down the stairs, it's Akshay Nanavati. How are you, man? Hey, brother, doing really good. The last time I saw you was in Orlando, and uh, I had to follow you on stage, by the way, which I have to say is just a... <laughs> Thanks, man. That means a lot. But no, you were you were awesome too. From what I caught, I was out of the room for part of it, but it was awesome to see you up there. And that's why we're here and we're connected. Well, talk about facing fear. There's a little fear of stage fright, but you've endured a lot more fear than that. I want to go back to a story which I think is painful, but you've told this story very often. Have been very open about it. You at one point contemplated suicide. Yeah. After I got back from the war in Iraq, I struggled with life back in this world. I missed the simplicity and the uh, experience of war. So I was diagnosed with PTSD many years later. I lost a friend out in the war, and for a long time, I felt like it should have been me that died instead of him. And I still have those experiences. I've just channeled that guilt very differently. But now, uh, but for a long time, I struggled with it. And so to run away from all of these experiences, to run away from the guilt, to run away from that that missing the war and, and craving that life, I started drinking. And one moment after five days of just heavy binge drinking, I mean, I've gotten to a point in my life that I would down like a liter of vodka. I would drink until I pass out, wake up, drink till I pass out. And these, I would do like maybe five liters a day, you know, what so was, a liter. In- what was going on in your head at that time? I mean, I'm just curious about the psychology at that time. Are you thinking I'm drowning out the voices? Are you thinking this is going to make it better or isn't it that coherent? You know that it's not making it better because you just feel like, I mean, you just feel like you're just drinking. I mean, you often when you're doing these five day binges of a liter of vodka a day, you'd wake up throwing up at some points and then you just, but you're drowning it out because then when, but when you start sobering up from that, you go through the withdrawals. And I've gone through these withdrawals multiple times because so the moment when I hit the point of suicide, I was it was I was going through these battles of, you know, these drinking binges followed by sobriety and being like, OK, something has to change. But it rarely did. And so finally, one day when I woke up, I just thought that this pattern would never change. And I pictured myself walking over to my kitchen, picking up the knife and ending it all. And that was a real shock that I hit such a low moment in my life. So it what, was devastating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this thought enters your head. What happens next? Uh, I still remember that because despite waking up from all the binge, just the shocking you know, reality of that thought was really – I mean I woke up, kind of leaned over my couch, looked at the empty bottle sitting on the floor. It kind of blew my mind that I just remember kind of look, sitting back and thinking about how could I even think that? What's – this is – I mean how could I get to such a low that a thought of taking my own life would enter my head? Because even while doing all this, I had still – I was still you know, running. I was still – I had built, still built a business. So I was still – in by many conventional ways successful. So, but I was hiding all of these demons, right? I was obviously not talking about it the way I am now. And uh, so there was this huge gap between who I believed myself to be and who I kind of, you know, who I wanted to be versus who I was in that moment. And that was the shock. So I remember walking up just to my wife was asleep in the bed and just crashing at that point and realizing that something needed to change. That was the trigger. I mean, I still slipped after that. I still, then I kind of sobered up, but I started to moderate it for a long time. And it was only years later that I finally said I'm not good at moderation because even though I had moderated it, 
every once in a while. It wasn't the same way of, of these patterns of five-day binges, at least as often as it was. But every once in a while, a trigger would hit. And I still didn't like that. So I was like, why am I even trying to moderate something like this? I'm just not good at moderation, clearly. <laughs> and so I just embraced that concept of my addiction and channeled it now into something far more meaningful. That's interesting because I would say that you're still not good at moderation, but a different thing. Oh, without, without a doubt, I'm not good at moderation. And I've just embraced it because there was no point wrestling with it. I mean, because I know people who drink in moderation, they're extremely successful in every area of life, you know, physically, financially, and all kinds of things. And, and they're able to handle that. Good for them. You know, there's no sort of one right path. I'm just not. <laughs> and so, and I've tried, and like I really have tried plenty of times, but it just didn't make sense to me to moderate something like that. So, you know, just why not embrace it? So I firmly believe in obsession and channeling, you know, all parts of that addictive personality into something worthwhile. And really it's worked for me, you know, (laughs) a lot of our discussions on the show are obviously learning from lessons, my lessons, your lessons Mm -hmm. for people listening that might be going Mm -hmm. through the same stuff that you were going through. If you got to go back actually and do this again, like how would you learn those lessons more quickly? Or did you have to go through all the steps, all the stages? I've definitely been one to fall many times before learning. You know, I've struggled with drug addiction in the past uh, before joining the Marines. Uh, I've been to jail a few times, you know. I've I've done a lot of stupid things. So I've been one to fall a few times to finally get to the other end. But I guess that's just, uh, that's been my path. But the lesson ultimately is recognizing the space between the stimulus and rest response, recognizing the space between our thoughts and our feelings and our conscious self beyond that. Because what happens is we define ourselves by our thoughts. We define ourselves by our feelings. We define ourselves by experiences. Like I work with people who will say, I have depression or I am depressed. And the reality is, I don't believe that at all. The reality is that our brain goes through state of depression, but we are not our brain and our brain is not us. And when you master that space, that between, you know, this, our thoughts, our feelings and our, our experiences and this conscious greater self that we all have within us, it's not easy. It's far from it. Sometimes I get caught up in it, but the more you are present to that space, the more you can separate yourself from anything. And it's okay to feel what you feel. Like I said, today I still feel survivor's guilt. I mean, I can, you know, but I have this poster up of my friend and it says, this should have been you earn this life. I have this right next to me. I look at it. So I still feel survivor's guilt, but I'm able to master that space so that guilt doesn't drive me into the darkness. Now that guilt has become a conscious thing. I can process, analyze it, and use it to drive me forward. Wow. That's, that's powerful. You are the perfect person to talk to people about fear. For a guy that writes so much about fear, why the military and why, why the Marines? Because you're like, okay, yeah, I'm afraid of stuff. I'm going to go to the front line. <laughs> that's ultimately why. I mean, at the time, I wasn't nearly as conscious or aware about all the things that I was doing and just about the psychology of the human mind and the spirit as I am now. But I had just gotten out of drug addiction and years of drug addiction, lost two friends to it. So once again, I was the first in my group to take it to that level, channel the addiction. And I was always the guy pushing the limits. So in that case, it was in drugs, you know. But thankfully, I got out. I watched the movie Black Hawk Down, and that was the trigger that got me out. Because watching the courage of men in combat, sacrificing their lives for another human being, that to me was magnificent. That was the finest of humanity. I mean, to sacrifice, war obviously brings out the worst. We see awful human atrocities, but we see people sacrificing themselves, giving everything for another human being. And that was the trigger. So that's when I decided to join the Marines. It took me a while to join because I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. Oh. So I had to get all these medical waivers and it took me a year and a half to kind of fight my way into the Marines. But that's why the Marines, I mean, I was like, I'm going to go join Marine Corps infantry. And as soon as I joined, I volunteered every chance I could go to, to go to war. And it took 
a two years to actually finally make that happen. <laughs> Wait a minute. So let me go back on what you're saying, because I don't want to push this under the rug. You had two doctors tell you you probably shouldn't go, and you, you still went. At that point, when you're convinced that this is your path, nothing can, like the mind and spirit can override anything. I mean, today I'm an ultra runner, right? I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me. That essentially transports less oxygen through my body. I have flat feet. I have scoliosis. I have a celiac that I was recently told and the villi in my esophagus are worn out. So my body's not able to absorb nutrients too well. These are four things that are not ideal for any human being, let alone somebody running ultra distances. But the thing is, the message I want to convey is that biology is not destiny. Your belief is, you know, and I mean, I didn't just survived the Marines. Like I was not the fittest in boot camp for many reasons. I was obviously kind of overcome this drug phase. I was still, but mentally I thrived. And when I got to infantry school, I graduated as the honor graduate in infantry school. And the point of this is not to say that, Hey, I'm special. It's that, you know, anybody can do this. Like I said, I'm the poster child for making mistakes. But when you believe and you're convinced in something enough and you commit to it, you grind it out, you embrace the suffering that it will take to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Not anything is possible. Obviously, we don't have enough time to talk about all of the steps in Fear Vanna about how to uh, combat this fear that we all have. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy that very famously on this show, I'm afraid of everything. And I keep having to remind myself of this mantra. Nike has had a saying for a long time, just do it. But before just do it, they had one that fit better for me, which was feel the fear and do it anyway. I continually have to tell myself it's okay yeah. to feel the fear, but just do what you're going to do. What are the steps that you advise people to do to fight through these fears that they have of, you know, for some people, as you know, it's just getting out of bed in the morning for for other people. It's how do I push the trigger on my first investment or how do I go out and walk a mile? How do I, what are the steps to making that fear to pushing that fear aside? You know, one of the big things is isolating yourself from the fear to understand it. So even though I wrote a book on fear, I was terrified, right? So you're asking, what is the fear? Why am I afraid? What's the worst case scenario? How can I prepare for that worst case scenario? Give it a name, you're saying. Like, put it out there. Yeah. Isolate yourself from that fear to understand it. Because again, the fear is not the problem. When you create that space between fear and your conscious response, you master that space and you acknowledge the fear is there. It's not going to go away, but now you've understood it. So I studied from better authors, like people like Tim Ferriss and Jack Canfield. How do you write a better book? How do you write a good book? How do you market a book? And I only did all that because I was afraid. I must have trashed like 100,000 words worth of work, not not exaggerating. That's a months and months of work. Wait a but minute. it led to something. When you say when you say trashed 100,000 words, I want to get I want to get back to this. You wrote a hundred thousand books, a hundred thousand words, and you threw them away. I mean, over time, as I yeah, edited, yeah, 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 sure. Literally looking at re because I rewrote essentially the whole book, and because it took me three years, so as I evolved, it led to a rewriting. Overall, it led to over a hundred thousand words trashed just thrown away. And that's months of work. But today it's a book that I'm truly proud of. I know it's making an impact and I can confidently hand it to somebody saying, this is a book that will help. And that, but I did all that because I was afraid. The fear helped me write a better book because it allowed me to engage the fear and then unprepare for it. So fear propels you to prepare if you understand the fear. So first is isolating yourself from the fear, visualizing what's on the other side of that fear, you know, embracing the energy of the fear. The fear is not to be feared when you just accept that it's there without trying to run away from it. Like for example, I've worked with somebody who once said, I'm just waiting for the fear to go away so I can quit my job and start my business. 
And I said, that's your problem. You're waiting for the fear to go away. It's never it going to go, go away. away. Yeah. It won't go away. But that's the thing. We're taught that fear is the enemy, right? That we should be fearless, that don't be scared. And so many people say that, that when, when you feel fear, we think there's something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with us. It does not matter when fear shows up, how it shows up. I still sometimes get scared of sitting in my house alone, which is insane because I've done some very dangerous things, like, you know, <laughs> life-threatening danger. And I'm sitting comfortably in a comfortable house in safe place in New Jersey, and I'll be kind of scared. But I don't care. Like, I do not care when fear shows up. All that I know is that it's there. What am I going to do with it? And then you understand it. And, and what's really important is clarity on what's on the other side of that fear. So that allow you to prepare for it. Because sometimes people will say, I'm scared of cats or spiders. And I'm like, does it affect you? And they're like, no, then who cares? You know, <laughs> sometimes you can engage those fears just as a confidence builder. So that's why I did things like, you know, cave diving, caving, skydiving, uh, you name it. I mean, ice climbing, ice diving, outdoor sports, because those were confidence builders. And without a doubt, I can say with 100% certainty, they've helped me channel the courage of exercising fear in those areas into other areas of my life. So you build that muscle of courage by engaging fear. I want to talk about the latest thing that you did because we delayed this interview uh, mm. specifically because you just got home from Africa. And this is amazing. I was going to tell everybody what you did, but I'd rather that you told everybody uh, uh, because it was so fun following you, by the way. Uh, t tell everybody what you Thank did. Thank you. Yeah, I went to Liberia, uh, the country that's gone through a brutal civil war, one of the poorest countries in the world. And I ran 167 miles across the length of the country, averaging just under a marathon a day for seven days. And, um, and then I followed that up with two weeks of humanitarian work out there. It was just uh, um, humbling and incredible experience. Experience, I mean, like running through the country. First, you're entering a new country, new world. You, you read anything about it or anything about any country, really, and obviously you only find the negative, right? I mean, if people who don't know anything about America read about America, we look like a bunch of crazy people. So you go to this country, it's a new, new world, it was, un I mean, uncomfortable without a doubt, you know, and not to mention I had never run that mileage before in that time frame. So um, all of those things were uncomfortable, but by day two, really embraced it. You got into the pattern of it. Uh, I would run with these little kids. I was welcomed into a village. When people were hearing what I was doing, they, it resonated, you know? I was going to say, I love the photos of you with the kids running with you. Th those were some powerful pictures. Oh, like Those were just the most beautiful experience. Because often, and, and often it would come at a perfect time, like I'm hitting a low, which you inevitably hit when you're running those distances and this little kid the one kid that always stands out there was a few kids around me the one was this little dude who was wearing this huge jacket with like his father's police jacket didn't speak english so we didn't really say anything to each other but he just started running with me and he had the most adorable smile and just these eyes and like when i would shake out my hands as i was running he would start copying me and do this <laughs> as well and it was just this beautiful moment of just deep human connection that we ran together for a few you know for a little, i can't remember how long for a little bit and then he saw his village and sort of ran off there, but uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment of human connection. I want to walk through this from the very beginning. Why did you pick Liberia in the first place? Because of the background? So I was actually invited there for this other two-week trip. Uh, we were filming a sort of documentary, inspiring documentary thing called Awakening Giants. They do different projects all over, but I, def I specifically chose Liberia because of that background. Being a post-conflict country, a country that's fairly recently gone through war. I mean, I ran with some kids who had lost parents in the war. I mean, when I taught, I was doing workshops out there as well on how to embrace suffering and pain, which is very unique when you're doing it to people who know it so intimately. Yeah. I mean, I have former child soldiers in my class. So the things they've seen and done and been forced to do is unfathomable. 
you know, and teaching so- how to embrace suffering to people who have lost people in war, lost family in war, or uh, and gone through just intense poverty. I worked with these drug addicts who were struggling with addiction in the ghettos of Liberia, and I mean, the pain in their eyes will always live with me. So uh, that's what kind of drew me to it is because of that post-conflict country. And because I was going there for this other thing, I sort of added on the run said, why not run across the country? <laughs> what <laughs> why, else would why, you do? <laughs> yeah, right. Why not? But then you actually already answered my next question was you did exactly what you advise other people to do. It sounds like you said, okay, this, this used to be a dangerous place to go. I'm going to do a bunch of homework. Sounds like you did a bunch of prep work before you went there. Mm-hmm. I understood a little bit about the country. We obviously planned out the route. I had a, people on the ground who uh, who helped me the, as a result of the connections from the rest of the group that I was going with. So they actually surveyed the route. You know, they, we originally had a different route planned, but apparently it was just unrunnable. The, the muds and the thing were so bad that cars were getting stuck in them. So we changed the route up a little bit. We planned this one that also allowed us to run through certain areas where we did we restocked and distributed water filters, gave school supplies to villages. So planned it all out, prepared as much as you possibly could. Obviously trained. I was blessed to partner with Hammer Nutrition. They're hands down the best uh, endurance uh, like nutrition and supplement company for endurance athletes. So that helped me take my running. I mean like six to eight weeks before this, my mileage week was 45 miles. And now I did 167 miles in yeah. a week. With like, with no real, I mean, no injuries or nothing. So yeah, no but real day pain. two, I was going to say, here's where I think fear would set in for me, actually, is that day two, your body kind of starts to shut down a little bit. Yeah, because again, you're not used to running almost a mar- marathon a day. It's a new country. So there's that novelty and that fear constantly uh, there. And by day two, it was, the I think, one of the harder ones, because at this point, my body was kind of like, what are we doing? Usually after, you know, 25 miles, we should take a rest day. Uh, but, but we're not going to. So day two was a tough one, but that's where you, again, you navigate. That's the beauty of long distance running for me is that it becomes a microcosm for the entire human life. You experience intense highs, intense lows. And the best part about those lows, cause I think those lows are necessary is you discover something within yourself to rise above them. That's why I say suffering is so beautiful when you consciously engage it, because you discover what you have within you to rise above that. And that stays with you. That transforms you. I think that is such a great analogy for life. Just just that second day trial that you had and following you. I mean, you went through the thing that a lot of ultra marathoners go through. You had a day of bloody nipples. Which I is, <laughs> which is just, I saw you with this shirt on and just, just <laughs> bleeding from your chest. Yeah. That, that's, I, the, got, I think that was day three or day four, the bloody nipples hit. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't know till like midway through the run, I was like, huh? So that I, I managed to fix that, you know? And then I had this one day where I had this intense pain on my shins and it just hit. And I was like limping for a good mile. And then I just, something came in me, start jogging. And I remember fighting through those last five miles of that day to hit 25 miles. It was my fastest five miles of the entire trip. Was it really? I I kid you not, fastest five miles of the entire trip because I tapped into a space that was like, right now, nothing is going to break me. Embrace this pain. Sometimes you got to tap into the darkness. I mean, I was saying saying to myself, like, you shouldn't even be here. You should have died in the war. Earn this life. You know, like tapping into that darkness, going into such a space. My buddy who was the camera guy filming me was just a... I was like, dude, watching you was intense. <laughs> he said I could feel that energy. and uh, I bet he can see I you. Guess. I could just imagine he can see it in your face, you fighting through it. Yeah, talking to myself as I'm running. At this point, like I wasn't looking at people. Often when I was running in the flow, I would kind of look at people, wave, smile, and say hi. At this point, I'm like, you know, I, the tiger, just staring down at the road, fighting myself, going into this space. I mean, I remember at this point, I remember looking looking at my watch, and I thought I'd maybe be at 21 miles, and I was at like 22.5. 
so I, w- I was flying through it. And, How great uh, is that? And so it was so beautiful to experience. Like, I'm glad that pain hit. When it, when it initially hit, not so much. <laughs> but I'm glad I hit, it hit because it allowed me to go into that space to rise above it. And then other days were pure bliss. I had one day, I think it was day five or day six, where it was literally just went by like that. Like, I just was. There was no bliss. There was no high. There was no low. It just was. So I really got to experience again, everything, you know, high, low, human connection, connection with the land. There's a beautiful rainforest in Liberia. Uh, So much potential in that country for tourism. I'm sure it'll continue to grow because it's a beautiful country, beautiful people. I mean, everybody stares at me because I look like an alien creature and uh, (laughs) I look a little different than everybody in Liberia for one. And you're running through villages, right? So, I mean, the funniest part is as I'm running, a few people in the villages were like, they would see the car uh, because I had my vehicle support car. And they were like, why doesn't he just get in the car? What's wrong with him? (laughs) Because practically speaking, you know, <laughs> it's just the better way to get to a point A to point B. <laughs> we can kind of am suffering and <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, buddy, we can kind of eliminate a lot of this if you just jump in that seat there. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so it was really funny, you know, to experience the whole land and uh, and also we use the run as a fundraising vehicle. So we raised a lot of money as well for building the first sustainable school in Liberia. So from experiencing the land, doing the work, raising funds, it was just uh, really a game changing experience that I'm still kind of sitting with in, in processing some of the key takeaways. We have like, uh, I don't know, four hours more of uh, Akshay stories that, that <laughs> we're not going to have time to t- I'd love to talk about how the Dalai Lama endorsed your book, which I think is a, it shows what a phenomenal book it is, but it also is a phenomenal story. But the book is Fearvana. Where can people get it? Uh, fearvana.com, but otherwise it's on Amazon, uh, Amazon as well. And all the profits are going to charities on ads. So it'll also support notable causes all around the world as well. And also coaching and speaking people find you there as well. Yes. Yes. I do speaking, coaching, uh, you know, products, all kinds of stuff around that as well. Awesome. And well, congratulations on a run well done and what a great, what a great story and great to finally catch up with you. Yeah. Thanks, man. This was awesome. Really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, Trivia Nistas, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you know what this basement needs? Well, I'll tell you what it needs. With all of these piles of incredible trivia around here, we should start a trivia league. We could sit in circles and serve nachos, you know, and, and draft teams like they do in other leagues. I'd choose OG way before Joe, by the way. I'm certain that this is an idea whose time has come, unlike the National Hockey League, which only had six teams for like 25 seasons until the 1967 expansion hit, we can have the whole neighborhood playing before the streetlights come on. Let's give you a practice question to see what team we'll place you on. Speaking of hockey and the original six teams, what were those hockey teams? I'll give you a five and you pick the last one. Here we go. The Detroit Red Wings, Boston Bruins, Chicago Blackhawks, New York Rangers, Toronto Maple Leafs, and well, that's the that's the team you got to guess. That's that's the whole question. Get it? Okay, I'll be back in a minute with your answer. If you're someone like me who's always looking for a good guide in my corner, when I wake up and I check my email. We've got the response for you coming. The Stacker starting in January now is going to be weekly lessons about your money. And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you. At least weekly. I'm going to tell you. Oh, wait, you, no, no, sorry. At least monthly. Trying to, yes. I'm, I'm trying to get this right on this under promise <laughs> right. over delivered thing. You say at least monthly. I'll say it's weekly. 
the deal is, is that I wrote a book about uh, financial planning. The problem is I wrote it over 10 years and I couldn't figure out how to put that together. I'm currently working on a different project, but we made the decision here in the basement to take that book and to divide it out over a longer period of time, make it more congruent because it really is a lot of great lessons that would go way better in a newsletter than a book. So it's just like reading your favorite financial book. So says your publisher. Yes. (laughs) This would be a great newsletter. (laughs) This would be a great thing you should give away for free, Joe. (laughs) I mean, I really, I really feel, I can imagine how those conversations. You're fantastic at helping me sell this. This this is really great (laughs) book. Um, I would really hate to take this out of the hands of people that don't want to buy it. So why don't you turn this into a freebie? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Back to the drawing board. Nice work. But it was... Repurposing. It, it, I'm sure well, well, it was. It was written over a long period of time. Very difficult. Also, it doesn't match the the vibe of... Uh, of much, much sterner now. Uh, warnings back then it is it is it's a lot more professional <laughs> than we happen to be now so yeah. uh working on a different book project now much more in line with what we do here in terms of reading a book or listening to the entire show but now i've broken it up into bite-sized nuggets lessons you can take you don't learn anything from the show here's a great way to take some of the lessons i learned over my life broken up into 52 weeks of morsels Stack- at least Every week. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash stacker to get on that list. It's always free. We're never going to charge for it. You can also unsubscribe at any time. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Welcome back, Trivia Heads. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Before the break, I totally spoon-fed you five of the six NHL teams that made up the league until the 1967 expansion. What's that now? You don't remember them? Oh, you don't have a prayer on this one, man. All right, here we go. I'll I'll spoon-feed you those five teams again. It's the Boston Bruins, Chicago Blackhawks, Detroit Red Wings, New York Rangers, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Here was your question. What team filled that sixth spot? The answer... The sixth team to make up the original six in the NHL, which was founded on today's date, by the way, whole point of the question, was the Montreal Canadiens. Did you get it right? No, you did not. <laughs> Seriously, you you didn't cheat, did you? No, you totally cheated. You probably took a quick peek at like Wikipedia or Dictionary.com or some Reddit threads or something. Hey, cheap shots may be okay in hockey, but not in the National Trivia League. Commissioner Doug will throw you in the penalty box for like five minutes. By the way, that's under the stairs with Harry Potter. Now, just close that Wikipedia page before Joe and OG sit back down, all right? All right. See ya. Big thanks to Akshay for joining us today. You know, the kind of fear that that guy has gone through, OG, makes any fear that I've felt in my life just seem so (laughs) inconsequential. Really does put it in perspective, right? But I know, you know, yeah, I know different people feel fear in different levels, and some people just have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, and yeah. and it's very difficult for them. But I love his, I love his message about get out there and face it, man, face it. Good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. We're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our good friends, 
your own and company over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Six-day-old turkey and pumpkin pie. So you got to eat that fast now. I mean, you got to get that stuff gone. Shouldn't leave it out any longer? Yeah. Is it like coleslaw? We've what, 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 The joke that will not die. I should have never told you that story. Just like the bacteria in your coleslaw. <laughs> I may talk about Bavaria a little bit, but you and everybody in our basement Facebook group talks about coleslaw way more than I talk about. I, I just, I love the fact that that crossed your mind is a really good thing to do. I was slightly drunk and very hungry. Okay. And it, okay. and it looked delicious. And at the time it was delicious. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so delicious 24 hours later. Nope. Delicious in reverse is not a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Second verse, same as the first. Yes. I should have called Haven Life before. Yeah. I should have gone on to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life, up my life insurance, and then ate the coleslaw. That would have been way better. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. We love them as our sponsor because their application is super simple. It's online, get a coverage decision right now, affordable prices, and it's not Billy Bob's insurance company you've never heard of before. All their policies are issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, who's more than 160 years old. That's pretty old. Almost as old as you. Uh, nearly. Today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to Rachel, and Rachel writes to us. She writes, to YOLO or not to YOLO, that is my question. I'm single, 45 years old. I have a modest income as a flight attendant, but managed to save 65% of my income, travel like a rock star, max out retirement accounts every year, and I should pay off my townhouse next December. Wow. That's great, Rachel. I'm following all the FI advice because I thought that was my plan. Suddenly, because of some bad HOA decisions, my need for the everyday smell of pine and the serenity of the forest... I've begun to rethink my life and financial aspirations. I'm seriously perplexed. On the one hand, I have an easy life if I pay off my mortgage next year. I could travel freely and still have residence near my work at the airport. I could also take the plunge and follow my emotional brain, move to the mountains where I no longer have allergies, lived in the midst of four national parks and smell pine every single day. The travel impulse has waned temporarily. The problem is, a two and a half hour commute to work once a week, transportation budget, ouch. Renting, eek, explosive rent too. Housing would be way over 25%. Selling my home, cha-ching. Moving expenses and are storing my stuff for a while. This all equals less travel, expenses going up, and financial plan taking a hit. I might save a meager 20 to 30% of my take-home pay without maxing out all of my retirement contributions. At what point do you throw caution to the wind and live life? Take a chance. This is a tough one for me. I want to, but I'm following the rules. I want to be smart, but I want to be happy slash er. I used to be fun, and now I'm pursuing financial independence. You think a lot of people feel that way? I used to be fun, but now... I sock my money away. About you? Yeah, they feel that all the time. Yeah, and then she says, Debbie Downer warning coming up. My dad passed away from cancer a couple years ago, and I attribute all my financial wisdom and control to his modeling and a very small percentage to this podcast. I will also remember the day we were sitting on the couch together when after getting chemo and feeling rather poorly, he flippantly said to me, this is retirement. Then in all capitals, she goes, hello. 
YOLO. Where do you find the middle ground? Seriously, that has stuck in my head more than anything. By the way, I want a free t-shirt and I'm asking lots of other podcasts the same question until I get the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> this ne- Great. I'm asking everybody and their sister mm-hmm. this question and I want a free t-shirt, but I didn't call in for one. Rachel, you're supposed to call. If you call, we give you the t-shirt. This needs to be discussed more for reals. If you need more specifics, I have over 200,000 in retirement accounts, 10,000 in HSA, 15,000 in emergency funds, 20,000 taxable accounts. House values currently 170,000. I owe 38. I have no other debts. Current expenses less than 1,500 a month. This would all be destroyed if I moved to the mountains because of lifestyle inflation. What do you do with that, OG? I get, I second her emotions though. Sitting next to your dad and thinking, why do I not move to the mountain? Yeah, that's tough. I don't know that this has to be an all or nothing. I'm not sure that the right answer is to sell everything and move two and a half hours away, but maybe that is the solution. You know, have you looked at what the cost of X amount of nights a year in an extended stay America is if you could pull that off? As a flight attendant, obviously you have a little bit of control over your schedule, a little. You can kind of pick and choose different different routes and things like that, as I understand it. So maybe you can group things together. So you go, well, I'll work for 10 days straight and then take 20 days off or whatever the case may be. And that may make that travel budget or, you know, that, I'm sorry, commuting budget a little bit uh, less painful. The nice thing is, is that financial planning really just boils down to the math of it. So as you sit there and say, well, my budget would be shot. I would, you know, I would lose all this. I would lose all that. Well, it's just because you haven't got to the point where you have enough money to afford all of that yet. And so one of the first things to do is to define reality and say, well, what really do I need to have? You know, maybe it's not a goal that you can accomplish in the next six months or 12 months. Maybe it's a goal that's going to take you four years. But rather than this nebulous financial independence goal that really has no meaning to you, apparently, why not have a very specific goal of in order to afford the house and the taxes and the travel I want to do, I need 500000 in my retirement accounts. And based on my current trajectory and savings rate, that's going to take me four and a half years to do. Or I could do it in three and a half if I work some overtime or whatever the case may be. Put some hard and fast dollars to what that looks like rather than saying this is an all or nothing thing. I think the other thing that you might consider is the middle ground. You know, can you rent a place in the mountains for an extended period of time to see if you really want to do it? A lot of things sound really fun until you get kind of into it for a couple of weeks and you go, well, boy, I didn't realize how much I liked walking to Starbucks, <laughs> you know, or yeah, she's in the city t- or whatever. She's already talking about some of the negatives, the two and a half hour commute, the renting while she's in the city and away from the mountains. Like she, she already knows what some of those are, but I think to feel them, it's going to yeah. make it even worse. I, I'm afraid that she'll wake up and go, what have I done? Well, it could be the case. I think that this boils down to me, to the Tony Robbins question of you haven't asked yourself the right question yet. You're asking yourself, why can't I do all this stuff? As opposed to saying, how do I do all this stuff? How can I make this happen? What do I need to do differently in my life or savings or whatever to, to do the things that I want to do? And again, I think if you go back to the beginning of here's what my goal is and really define it. I mean, our, our mountain house is $780,000 or are they $78,000? 
you know, I, I don't have any sense of that. That would be my first question. Well, I think it be, depends on which mountains. Well, certainly it does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, are you living in a lean-to or is it 8,000 square feet, you know, with glass windows overlooking the valley? I mean, there's there's a lot of different uh, vision, I guess, of what that is. I'm wondering Heck, there if, might not be anything available in the area that you want to be right now. Yeah, and I'm wondering if maybe, and I don't know what type of time Rachel has or her ability to get this done, but if there's even like a Airbnb or a sublet opportunity where she buys the house, holds on to what she has, and maybe has an income stream coming in that at the very least supports the second place and the time she spends there, but even more, maybe even makes her some money. Or vice versa, buys the house and rents the townhouse. Uh, good, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and if she does, if she rents the townhouse Airbnb style, she can make sure that the nights she needs to use it are nights that she doesn't rent it Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to solve this. I think begin with the define exactly what you need, not just I want a house in the woods, but a house in the woods that costs this amount on this amount of acreage, you know, on this hill in this town, start putting it together. And then you can start laying out the groundwork of, well, how do I get all of this done? I love the idea though, of something needs to change and paying attention to that idea. Because at least when I was a financial planner, I'd see too many people quote responsible people, right? She said, I used to be fun, but I'm not anymore. People being so responsible that they just miss out on life completely. And I, it's a very thin line, a very tough balancing act of making sure that you're planning for the future and also enjoying your time now. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Rachel. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com. And on the top of the page, you will see ways to interface with the show and just click that link. And uh, you know what? Had Rachel left us a voicemail, she would have gotten the t-shirt that she so wanted. So you could uh, you can do it that way too, or you can write us a letter. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who's done that. If you need more financial help in your corner, by the way, for 2019, OG has his waiting list ready for 2019 once the holidays are over. While you're remembering it now, though, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G. Thanks to everybody also who's left a review of this here podcast. And, you know, reviews that I haven't checked in a while are over on Stitcher. I've been looking lately at iTunes, but we've had a few over there. This one is from KR1 Stouffer eight months ago. Says, most entertaining financial podcast, five stars. I don't know why I keep listening to Joe and OG. I never learn anything from them. But for some reason, I keep listening to almost every episode for about a year now. Maybe because of Doug's awesome trivia and his adventures at the Sizzler. They provide awesome content through the topics they discuss and the guests they have. Joe and OG bring out their financial knowledge along with their personality, which makes it the most entertaining financial podcast. The Friday Roundtable also provides outstanding content where Paula Len and whoever is on there uh, lets out their knowledge and personality as well. My commute could not be any more fun except for the what? <laughs> he talked about something else. He said where they discuss, oh, wait, um, never mind. Keep it up, guys. Nice job. Sorry it took me so long, KR1 Stouffer to get to your review, but you know what? Mom is uh, putting that on the fridge as we speak. That's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today, man? So what did we learn today? First, worried about being denied credit? As Beverly Harzog explains, 
maybe the new score is a great option. But first, think about your use of credit. There could be a good reason why you shouldn't use credit, especially if you don't have a plan to pay the money back. Second, take some advice from Akshay Nanavati. It's okay to feel fear, but don't let it limit you. Life's an adventure, and pushing through fear will let you experience it more fully. But the big lesson? Don't ask Joe's mom to make donuts to go with your cider for Cider Monday. She'll start rambling on and on about how Cider Monday is something to do with buying stuff online. I am not actually sure she's right about that. Cider Monday, that's a real thing, right? Isn't it? Special thanks to Akshay Nanavati for joining us on today's podcast. You'll find his book, Fearvana, at fearvana.com. Or if you're buying it from a bookstore, Stacking Benjamin supports independent booksellers. You'll find Fearvana also at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Powell's. Thanks for using our link. Thanks also to Beverly Harzog from U.S. News and World Report for joining us. You'll find lots of Beverly's writing at usnewsandworldreport.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. So, holiday movies coming out. Did you see that Red Dead Redemption 2, the video game, biggest selling media property of the year? Books, movies, <laughs> doesn't matter. Anything, more people. I mean, other than our tour tickets. Yes, other than our tour. Second hottest thing out yep. this year. But I can't believe that a video game was number one over movies. Did they count Fortnite? Fortnite is a free game. So sure. I think it's just stuff that you pay for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the eye roll. Yeah, whatever. It's free. All right. I think I read that they make $3 million a day. A day. Did you, did you read? <laughs> Selling things that have no material value to the output of the game. I love it. It's a great strategy. What did they sell on there? Because I watched uh, Nick spent a little bit of time with us mm-hmm. this last summer. He jumped on the Xbox and, and was playing Fortnite. And uh, 
Yeah, you can get uh, better looking characters. So they're called skins. So you can get new outfits. Which is completely, uh, relevant, or completely relevant to winning the game. Correct. And um, when you jump out of the battle bus, you have to float down in a uh, parachute or an umbrella. And so you can get a better parachute or umbrella, which also provides no value to the game. Brilliant strategy. Did you see, what's it called? Trivia HQ? HQ Trivia? Yeah. Yeah. But did you see how they're They're sellouts now? With their what? I said they're sellouts now. Did you see? How, did you see how their audience has gone away? Their audience is gone. They've gone. Yeah, f- they've I played go- the other day. They're like three hundred thousand. Yeah, they're averaging two. It's not quite the million. According to the Hustle, a good online newsletter that I get, the Hustle said I think they're averaging two hundred thousand uh, in yeah. there. And and I've noticed the way they talk to me on their alerts because I still have Trivia HQ alert because I always forget when it's coming on. And every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, I'll play because because I do enjoy it. But generally, th- th- they seem to be. The, the alert used to say, hey, trivia right now. Everybody jump on. Now it's like, oh, please, God, play <laughs> somebody. Well, I kind of wonder how that, uh, you know, from the VC money of that, you know, like where was the investment plus payoff? You know, obviously early on, they kind of built the, you know, and then they did the, then they had sponsored episodes right, for a little bit. And now they're selling lives for three ninety nine a throw or something like that, which is kind of funny because if you win, you generally only make like a dollar fifty. Oh, you only not. lose a buck fifty on that deal. Well, but, that's if you only need one life. That's true. Yeah, and you have to answer the last question right. My understanding is is that they've also had fights internally there. I think this was also in this piece. They had, they've oh, had okay. fights internally at the top. They're coming out with a new game that supposedly is going to save them. It's interesting when you see what was, what was the hot thing a few Easy years ago? ago, the uh, company that started with a Z I think. And they had like some, it was like yeah, Pictionary. Zanga. Yeah. Was it Piction? Was it like a Pictionary thing? You and I played it a little bit. You'd like draw a picture of something and send it to. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was like uh, word, like words with friends, or you know, basically it was Pictionary via via phone. Yes, right? yeah. Don yeah. Matrick, who ran Xbox, went to work for them, and mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything. About, that company might be making money hand over fist, but I haven't heard anything from them since. I have no idea what's going on there. I don't know. It's, Holiday movies? Anything fun coming up? I, you know, since my movie pass expired uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just really haven't gone to any movies. Says the guy that didn't go to movies for six months. Um, You're the one guy that Movie Pass can lean on, or was was leaning on. I know we totally were. But, Actually, I got my money out of it. I bought the annual subscription. Yeah, me too. Plus, it was discounted, so I think it was you know whatever seventy bucks. And I went to fifteen movies, I think, before they throttled it and only let you go to the real crappy ones. Yeah, I, uh, I yeah, I I want nothing to do with that. Paula, did you hear that they're spinning that company off out of the? head company or whatever they have to because it just buried the rest of the company like that yeah. may, that makes total sense like take the the uh i mean it's a horrible the analogy off the boat yeah that's a better analogy form from off my door because the, yeah that's got to be spun out i can't imagine talk about being a hero to my kids by the way so my son was reading the raven which edgar Allan poe is probably one of my favorite authors for all of the reasons of the very popular pieces that you know, of course. But 
one of my favorite Simpsons is the Raven Simpsons Halloween episode. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> no. Well, you know the Raven, the, the yes, the yeah, the poem or whatever. And so my son's reading it, and he's like, "Dad, this is so hard to understand." And I said, "Let me show you how to understand it better." And you show him the Simpsons. So the Simpsons, look it up on YouTube. Simpsons Halloween episode, The Raven. It's so funny because Homer, <laughs> having Homer go, Quoth, oh, Quoth. <laughs> but they do the whole thing and uh, Bart's the Raven and mocking him, you know, so they do. Simpsons are so creative, but uh, but he totally got it. So thank you, Simpsons, for uh, teaching my kid 19th century poetry. Upon a midnight dreary. While I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly came a tapping. As of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor. I muttered. Tapping at my chamber door. Only there's nothing more. Are we scared yet? Bart, he's establishing mood. Party's establishing mood. <laughs> yeah, it's about four minutes long, but it's really good. That is cool that it helps your kid kind of get it. Yeah. Yeah. Brings Father it Father of the year. Liking uh, Edgar Allan Poe's awesome. I like the telltale heart. Telltale heart, yeah. Oh, good stuff. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is... Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.